about two weeks ago, I spoke a, a message. And do you guys remember what I spoke on? Huh? Merry Christmas, everybody. Shall we start again? <laughs> Press the reset button. The least of these. And I, and I spoke about um, giving mainly. Uh, and uh, we're going to go a little deeper in that subject today. If you thought uh, I was going to preach a Christmas service uh, message, I preach Christmas message every Friday. You can come. <laughs> every Friday. Every Friday. Every Friday. Every message is about Jesus. It's not only about his birth, but it's about his life. Every aspect of Jesus, every second that Jesus lived is impactful. The question is, how much of your life is impactful? It's a good question. Every second that Jesus lived on the earth, he fulfilled the Father's will and he transformed someone's life. Even when he was in seed form in his mother's womb. While he was in seed form, while he was in an embryo in his mother's womb, she greeted her friend, her cousin, Elizabeth, and she got filled with the Holy Spirit. Who needs Pentecost, man? Just say hello. I don't know if you're ready for Revelation today. <laughs> See, a lot of the times we think, oh, we need to redo Pentecost. Why don't we just do hello properly? Yeah. See, the, the, most times we, we need to understand that the one in us is greater and can have a greater impact on the one that is outside of us. So if I have God's word on the inside of me, residing inside of me, he doesn't, I don't really need to control him in order to tell him, okay, God, today, why don't you move upon Mac and then you do something awesome in his life? He wants to do something. He doesn't need your permission. So the, this is a message for the ones who greet in the church. Yeah. So every person that greets in the church, you have a responsibility to fill them with the Holy Spirit. Every, why do you think I hug people all the time? I hug people because I want to give, I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit and also give you an impartation of what God has put in my life. We need to use every moment, every moment, every second that we are alive, we need to use it to bring transformation to someone's life. We need to bring transformation to someone's life or, or the circumstances or situations around us. We are accountable to God for time. We think that the most valuable commodity that we have in our, in our lives is either relationships or money or businesses or things like that. But the, most, the, the thing that you are most accountable to God for is your time. What are you doing with the time that you have? What are you doing for his kingdom because he saved you and called you into his kingdom so that you can have an impact for his kingdom? So, the, so what we present to God is, is not God, how, how much, uh, God, God doesn't come to us and say, how much did you love people? But he might come to you and ask you, while you were there and I gave you time to live, how much did you love? 
It's very important for us to understand that God listens and he is aware of every single thing that you say and you do. Everything. But he's not a taskmaster that will sit with a chain, with a ball and a chain around your neck and say, okay, now, now you made a mistake, now I'm going to beat you up. He doesn't do that. He's not revengeful. He's a loving father. He knows that, that humanity is frail. He knows that you don't have... Let, let's, let's, let's come to this understanding that we are not God. Can we, can we agree on that? So that everything that God has and everything that God does, we should not come under the pressure to perform like he does. Because a lot of the times, Christianity has been communicated in such a way that caused us to live under a, 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 an unnecessary pressure to try to be like God when I'm, I'm just struggling, man. And we, we tend to, to live this make-believe world that, yeah, you know, I need to ignore my, my flaws and I need to be like a Christian or I need to be like Christ. When God is saying, just embrace your flaws as they are because I chose you while you were still flawed. And while you are still flawed, he doesn't reject you. God is not a mean God that expects you to be like him without giving you the grace to be like him. So to each one is given a measure of faith. And according to that measure of faith, there is an expectation from God. He doesn't expect you to be like him according to his measure of faith. See, we need to come away from this performance before God because it causes us to pretend before him. Rather than saying, God, you know, my life sucks at times. But it sucks because I lost my awareness of you in my life. See, the, we're accountable to God for every single second that we live. We're not accountable to our moms and dads or our pastors. Please, you're not accountable to me for your life. You are accountable to God for your life. I'm accountable to God for my life and what I say to you. So you can make a choice. It's not my problem. It's your problem. But for, for far too long, we've made choices hoping that with this understanding, we make choices with this understanding that God is a performance director and according to his standard, he gauges your performance. When he looks at you and he sees the measure of faith given to each one, and according to the measure of faith, he comes to you for accountability. For example, in, 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 the, in the parables when Jesus talks about the, the talent that he gives to people, to some he gives one, to some he gives two, and to another he gives five. He does not come to the one he gave five and says, where are my ten talents? To the one who's, who he gave five, he says, what have you done with it? 
So the question is, what are you doing with the life that God has given you? Yeah. Not the life that God has. Not the life that God is. He's asking you, what are you doing with the life that he's given you? Maybe you don't have the faith that I have. Maybe you don't have the faith that Amos has or Ken has or Kelsey has. Maybe you don't have that faith. But you don't have to live according to the pressure or the peer pressure of the faith that I have. So we have, we have acceptance and rejection in the church based on the maturing of our faith. So we have a lot of people in the church that live according to someone else's measure of faith. Without accepting the fact that, hey, you know what, I have little faith for a miracle. And in that faith, I'm faithful. And according to that faith, I'm faithful. See, I don't know why I'm saying this because it's completely not my message, but I really feel like it's a message to us because... Um, 2020 is going to be a year where uh, God is going to come to you for accountability of what he gave you in 2019. He's going to come to you. Please, you have two weeks left. Not for to live, but two weeks left for the year. <laughs> two weeks left of the year. He's going to come to you. Every word that he gave you from the beginning of 2019, there is a moment where he's going to say, what have you done with it? We kind of create that concept at Life Group. That concept actually should exist in Life Group if you're going to one. And if your life coach is leading it the way, according to how I explain it. You're supposed to come to this place, this room on a Friday, and you'll come here to receive this bread, this manna from heaven. Receive this word from heaven. And then you, you, you take the next three days of the week and you apply what you receive on this day. And you go to your life group on a Tuesday and you share it. That sharing is your sense of accountability for the word that you received. It's a, it's a sort of preparation for the moment when God asks you. Mario, I gave you a business. What have you done with it? Aaron, I gave you a job. What have you done with it? Life Church Global, I gave you prophetic words, mantles that were released on this church. What have you done with it? Because at the end of the day, God releases a blessing upon us so that we can become a blessing to people around us. So the question is, God's not looking just at you. He's looking at everything around you. To see how much transformation you have brought to everything around you. Is your life the same? Maybe your life has changed. What about everything else around you? It's a good word. We have to live with an awareness. We're always living, you know, we, we love the presence of God. We're always living with an awareness of the presence of God, but we're not living with the awareness of his nature, his character, and what he expects of us. He gave you life so that you could live it for him. 
He gave you life so that you could live it for him. But when you mature and, and, and apply the word of God that is being preached and being served and ministered to you every single week, when you apply that word in your life, you mature into a moment, please listen to me very carefully, you mature into a moment where you begin to minister as him. You minister for him on his behalf and then you minister, you mature. When you apply the word, you begin to minister as him. The question I have for you today is when people receive your ministry, do they receive Jesus or they receive you? The second question would be when they receive your ministry, do they walk away experiencing Jesus or experiencing humanity? So we, we have to come to this place in our walk with God that we live with a greater understanding of accountability. Not just accountability to one another, but also accountability to God for the seconds that he gave us. You know, I truly believe that, that every single person on this planet, please listen to me very carefully because this is your, your mission as a church. This is our mission as a church. That every single person that we come across in our life needs to hear the message of life. Because far too many people are dying without believing the message of life. Jesus has come to give us life. And life in its abundance. So today I want to talk about the keys to abundance. All right? Keys to abundance. <clears throat> I've got um, a couple of paradigms that I want to present to you uh, today. So I would need your intelligence um, in understanding. Okay? You're a smart church, right? Yes. Intelligent church? Yes. Good. So I've got a couple of paradigms, and, uh, and, I'll, uh, and I'll communicate it in a way that might sound confusing, but it's... It's for you to understand. Because you're intelligent, you can get it. Can anybody tell me what's the most famous Bible verse that most, most of Christianity knows? Right, John 3.16, we'll start there. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should not but have was he, did he say that this person would not perish in heaven or on earth? So he's talking about you not perishing on earth. Because whether you like it or not, you will not perish in heaven. <laughs> whether you have a choice or not, I don't think you'll perish. Even in hell... I don't think you perish. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand? There's suffering for eternity. Or there's enjoyment and fullness of life for eternity. Your choice. Right? But that's not what I was trying to communicate. Or that's not what Jesus is trying to communicate. He's tr he, you know, Jesus never made an altar call. And Jesus never uh, preached hell that people were going to go to hell. He just said, 
the father will judge according to your actions. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Christmas is really about giving, but secretly hoping to receive as well. I mean, I don't know a person that only loves to give without secretly hoping. Maybe there's a secret center somewhere. <laughs> secretly hoping to give me. Maybe I'll get a gift this, this Christmas. Last Christmas, I gave up my heart. The, <laughs> the very next day, you gave it away. But this Christmas, maybe I don't have to give my heart. Jesus, I gave my heart to you last Christmas. I don't have my heart to give this Christmas. What do I give you? We think that every Christmas we need to give our hearts to Jesus. Because it's presented like that. But don't give your heart this time. Because you already gave it last time. You don't have two hearts. You have one. You don't have, you're not a cat. Many lives. You have one life to give. And when you surrender it to God, stay accountable. The reason why you keep giving your life to Jesus is because you're not accountable. Oof, it's going to be a good Christmas today, I'm telling you. <laughs> so John 3.16, for God so... God so loved the world. How many of you thought that when you, you heard the word world, that God was talking about worldly people? Put your hand up. Right. All of you are wrong. <laughs> For those of you who tried to be safe by not putting up your hand, you're the one laughing. <laughs> now, the, when, 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 the, when the Bible says God so loved the world, uh, that word world in Greek is the word cosmos. God so loved the cosmos that he gave his son. Weird, isn't it? We think cosmos is cosmos, like woo, all the planets and all that kind of stuff. No, that word cosmos actually means created order. So God loved his created order that he gave his son. See, God, it's been communicated to us that God loved people, the sinners, so much that he gave his son. So why hasn't all the sinners in the world been saved yet? God so loved the order that he created. He loved the order so much that he sent his son because people were struggling and suffering because of a disorder. <laughs> Since it's Christmas, let's go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, when God said, let there be light, there was light, and it was? He created order. What was the order? Good. Then he created the, the trees and the birds and the bees and, and every living thing and the fish of the sea. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And he said, it was? Order. He created order. God is a good God. And he loved his goodness so much. God 
God so loved the order that he created that he himself decided to come down to make everything back to the order. Why? It's because people, for no rhyme or reason, please listen to me, were suffering because of one man's mistake. I mean, the Bible says we were all born in sin. I mean, what was my fault, man? I came fresh. <laughs> right? I, 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 was, I was with God. I wasn't a sinner. But then because of one man's sin, Romans 5, one man's sin, what entered the world? Death entered into the world. This is why it's very vital for us to preach the message of life. Because the message of life is the message of his perfect order. And every time we communicate that God came to give us life, we are communicating that, that God wants you to live according to his perfect will, his perfect order. What is that? Living according under the goodness of God. See, being fruitful, multiplying, and re replenishing the earth is, 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 a, is a promise or a, a decree, so to say, or order that God created uh, with man. Do you, you, you understand what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm talking about? The book of Genesis? He says, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. But to man, he gave the authority and dominion over all things. Say all things. It's very important, this, this word right now, you must catch a hold of it. Because if you do, then the rest of the message, will, you, you'll understand. He gave man authority and dominion over a sphere called creation. Not his order. God's order was there. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Even in sin, they were still being fruitful, multiplying and replenishing the earth. But see, because sin entered into the system, now man started dying. It was a disorder. Nowhere does, in the Bible does it say that God created man so that man can die. It's a disorder. You go to a, to a doctor and the doctor gives you a report on your, of your body and he says there's a disorder. Why? It's because your body is not functioning according to the way God created it. It's a disorder. So God so loved his perfect order that whoever believes in his son, his son is the word that created all things. So the very aspect of God that created order Please listen to me. The very aspect of God that created order, everything in perfect order, and he keeps his order, came down and became your disorder. The Christmas story. The Christmas story is really not about baby Jesus. The Christmas story is about the aspect of God, the word became flesh. The word took on perfect order, took on imperfect disorder. And while he was still alive as a man, 
He overcame every aspect that caused man to be in disorder. He overcame it. So that everyone who believed in this order now will not perish. Come on now. Everyone who believes in Jesus. What is Jesus? He was the perfect order. He was the perfect order. What, what causes you to repent? It's the goodness of that leads a man to? Right? So what is goodness? Goodness is God's perfect order. See, but you can have God's perfect order over your life and choose to live in sin. Listen to me now. You can choose to live in sin and... <laughs> This is quite dangerous, actually. The reason why God threw Adam and Eve out of the garden was because he was concerned that in their sin, if they eat of the tree of life, they would live forever. If they were in sin, what was sin? Disobedience to God. Disobedience to the order. Disobedience to the word that is spoken every Friday. The standard is getting higher. As you keep quiet, it's going to get even more higher. The more you celebrate, the more grace you'll receive. Because God is like, yep, that one, trust me, he's laughing. He knows that he can't do it. That's why he's laughing. I'm like, God, this is an impossible standard for me to live. I need your grace. And so you have now Jesus who is the perfect order from the Father. He's been created over all things. The Bible says that through him all things were made that were made. And so now you have man who is put in charge. He's the boss. Like everybody loves to be the boss. Trust me, when you're the boss, everything you do has a direct impact on everything in you and around you. Adam made, he didn't make many mistakes. He made one. <laughs> he made one mistake. And through that one mistake, sin entered the world. And through sin, death. God's perfect order for you is for you to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and have a good life. Really, it is for you to have a good life. But when, you're, when you are in disorder, you begin to produce fruit. You begin to produce things in your life that do not communicate to you and to people around you, the order that you're under. God, his perfect will for you is for you to have a good life. Like everything in life, every second of your day, every second that you live, he wants you to be in perfect health, he wants you to have no lack. 
He wants you to live in peace and love and harmony and just goodness all around you. It's, it's like, you know, they say you age faster when you, when you have so much of stress and drama in your life. <laughs> you know, there's just certain things that you just don't need. There's certain battles that you shouldn't be involved in. But you just, you know, because you have that itch, you just have to <laughs> put your leg in places where you shouldn't. And then you pull your leg out and like, ugh, dude. It's like walking around in India, you know, at nighttime. Um, certain parts of India where there are a lot of cows and buffaloes. Uh, they, they choose, the government chooses those places not to put lights on the street. They choose. They expect you to have x-ray vision, like night vision. And uh, it's in those places, you know, especially when you're coming home from the dance on the 31st night, you know, uh, you've had a little bit of uh, uh, spirit. <laughs> uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, I think, some, some part of it. Um, and then you're walking home, and then you think you're walking on the road. Um, but then suddenly it feels very soft. <laughs> And life, life can feel like that sometimes. Not church, I'm hoping. But life can feel some, like that. You know, when, when your life is in disorder, it feels like the lights are off. And if it feels like, ah, you, what did I do? Why did I marry this fellow? Oh, why did I marry this woman? I don't know why I started this business. Oh, I don't know, no, no. It's just disorder. You've made a choice to live You've made the choice to live in disorder. God's desire for you is to live in abundance, man. He didn't tell Adam, go, uh, uh, brother, Adam, you know, you're created in my image and likeness. Please listen to me. You're created in my image and likeness. Now I want you to go and till the ground. It's an insult. It's an insult to God himself to say, you're made in my image and likeness, now you have to work. Working, please, this job that we're all celebrating and all that stuff, you know, it's good. Um, please don't think it's bad. But I'm just saying, I'm talking, I'm talking about restoration with the, yeah. the beginning, right? We were never meant to work for our blessing. It was already given to us. And we were meant to, Adam was meant to take that blessing and steward it to all of creation. Because that's the nature of the Father. Creation wasn't meant to work. All of creation, you know those, those birds that, that go flying around? You know those flies that come and sit on your food? You know, the, the <laughs> they're, they're working for their food. You were meant to actually feed those guys. You were meant to be a provider. You were meant to be a source of transformation. Are you getting it? You're meant to be a, a place, a, a housing place, a vessel that God chooses to bring transformation in the world. But... We are settled for, we've made the disordered life, we've falsified it in such a way that makes us believe that it's the good life. 
that is sin. When we choose to live below the standard that God has created for us, when we choose to strive for something that God gives for free, we're choosing to live in sin. We choose to live like that, and we go to work, I hit this job, I hit this job, but then you just go to work, just go to work. No, you're sinning against your work. How do you expect to prosper? You're creating, you're functioning according to the disorder that Adam brought into the world. It is still, it exists even till today. Such a powerful thing that man did. One mistake. Generations after that, till today, still struggling with it. Now just think about your mistakes. How many generations after you? So we live with a, with a lack of accountability, really. The things that we say, the things that we do, we live with, with, without an awareness that my children and my children's children are really impacted by the things I say and do. We, we just live, we're selfish in how we live. Let me give you an example. Can I give you an example of the Christmas story, right? Uh, when, when the angel came to, uh, I think it was either Joseph or Mary, because it didn't go to anybody else came to either one of them, he says, you know, uh, in, in Bethlehem, a king will be born. You know, that word, in Bethlehem, a king would be born, is, is actually taken in, in context from the moment when David, when God told Solomon, uh, God told Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse, the, who's from Bethlehem. And I want you to, to make one of his sons a king. <laughs> Do you understand? We think that he was talking about David. We think, you think God is talking about you? You think your, your words that are coming out of your mouth is just impacting you? Samuel, go to Jesse. I have, I have called for me a king. And David thought it was about him. What if David said no? What if David did not apply the word that was preached to him that Friday? What if David decided to say, uh, you know what, I am, uh, uh, <laughs> I have so many examples going through my mind. What if, because he's a musician, let's just take it. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm happy playing for the sheep. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really good, man. I don't need this, this king stuff. Give it to any of my brothers, they all look good. But Samuel went through the sons. God said no. Through the seed of David. God, even before David was married, was speaking to his seed. And you think I'm only talking to you. 
I'm talking to the millions and millions of seeds that will come out from this house. I want to tell you that your life is not useless. I want to tell you that, that what you have to give to in, into the kingdom of God is much more greater than you really believe. Every choice that you make, every time you apply the word of God that is preached in this house, trust me, put your attitude aside. Put your, your dumb stuff aside because all that dumb stuff is from a disorder that's come from Adam. It's not from Jesus. Jesus was humble at heart. Jesus was gentle. He was a servant of all. He, was not, he didn't come to pretend to be a king and then pretended to be a servant. He decided, I'm a king. I'm, I'm going to become a servant. He chose to become a servant. He chose to humble himself. Jesus, was not, Jesus did not have humility in himself. He chose to be humble. Please understand what I'm trying to communicate today. Our, the, we, we just don't he, be hearers of the word. The Bible encourages us to be doers of the word. He encourages us to, to take what he has given because every time you listen to the word and you apply it in your life, listen to me very carefully. Every time you apply the word in your life, that aspect of your life comes back into order. It comes back into order and it comes back into this order, listen to me, the order that God loves. God does not love the fact that you have sickness in your body. God does not love the fact that you have debt. God doesn't, it doesn't, we think that, oh, you know, only when I'm in trouble that I can experience God. It's a lie. The goodness of God leads a man to repentance, not when you're in trouble. <laughs> we think that forgiveness is only experienced when we're in sin. Forgiveness is experienced, please listen to me, every time we're in disobedience. To a sinner, okay, to a person who, who is worldly, <laughs> to a sinner, a person who does not know, I'm not talking about religion, okay? This is, not, this, is, this is an unreligious church, like we don't have religious stuff here. To a person who is a sinner. What is a person who is a sinner? A person who is functioning according to a disorder. Is a sinner. To that person who does not know the order, there is remission of sins. The blood of Jesus washes your sins and he makes you white as snow when you call on him to save you. But to a believer... Who chooses to live according to the disorder, this forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. You go to God and say, God, I know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I know that you saved me out of darkness into light. I know I should behave in a certain manner according to Christ. But I, I made the choice willingly to live according to a disorder. 
See, a lot of times, you know, and I was having a chat with Ricardo about this. The reason why people struggle with sin is because they're not aware that they're breaking his heart. The reason why people fight and bicker with one another is because they're not accountable with their words that break his heart. If you can only be aware of your choices and be accountable to God in such a way that does not break his heart, now I'll tell you, stay away from any form of sin, any habits, any vices that you may have, anything that you're struggling with. If you can only position yourself with this one thought that says, God, I want to live my life today in such a way that does not break your heart. Now I'll tell you, you've matured. You'll, you'll mature. You'll make the choice to stay away from sin because you value his heart. You value his heart. Why? It's because his heart gives you the perfect order of goodness. It's good. Even while you're in sin, he's still good to you. Even while you're in a disorder, he's still good to you. He still loves you. He still protects you. He still holds the enemy against you. But sometimes we are the ones who open the door for the enemy to attack us. When you know, willingly know, that certain types of things are according to the disorder of Adam in your life, and you choose to live according to those things, you're opening a door for the enemy to have a legal right to take your life. Please understand, Satan... His job, if you read the Bible, his job is not to just torment Christians. He's a garbage collector. He was created to collect garbage. Not like on the road, human garbage. People who choose to live in the disorder when the time runs out, he sent, that's yours. Why did Jesus say to the Pharisees, you're, the, you're sons of Lucifer, sons of Satan? Why? It's because they were choosing to live according to that order. Okay. <laughs> it's absolutely vital for us when we come to church, do not think it is just another organization. You're coming to the very order that he created. You're coming to the place of perfect order. Lots of imperfect people, but perfect order. Because the minute you come under submission to that order, then you begin to experience the goodness of God in your life. Till then, you'll have to work for your blessing. Please listen to me. I'm not saying that your jobs are bad. This is a system that has evolved over the years of disorder. 
Can anybody show me <clears throat> in the Bible where God created money? Cash. Nowhere. Say anything if, if you want. Yes, no, maybe. No. Yeah. Tell me, did God create money? Or why did we work for it? I'm not saying don't work for it. Don't love it. Love your job, not your salary. Love the people that you work with, not, not the applause that you get from them. Just imagine your life coaches. <clears throat> imagine, okay? Just imagine. Your life coaches, you go to life... Just imagine you go to life group without being invited to life group. Every week, reminder, oh, we're having life group. Oh, wow. Just imagine there's no invitation. There's no reminder. Just imagine there's no life coach. Are you imagining? Would you go? Be truthful. <laughs> <laughs> no life coach, no reminders. Let's just put another one into the no food. <laughs> Woo! Holy! <laughs> well, now we know where the disorder is. <laughs> it's all Altia's fault. <laughs> right, so. Are you with me? Yeah. Just imagine there's no life coach, no reminders, and no food. Would you still apply the word and love to get to a place where you share what God has done with your life? Would you? I'm asking you, would you? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, from, from this week, there's no reminders. Yeah. You know what? I really feel like we shouldn't beg you to go to life group. You're not, you're not greater than God. You should want to go to life group. You know why? It's because... It's because you get an opportunity to share what God is doing in your life so that it could change someone else's life. So, if there's no life coach, if there's no food, there's no reminders, but yet we go to life group. Why do we go? For the? For fellowship. Right? So there's a purpose. The purpose is not being selfish. 
The purpose is I want to minister to someone with what God has done with my life. It's not, it's not like, oh, you know, I, I just before the life group, I, I listened to an hour of the message, so uh, I got three main points from the message, and so now, okay, great, I can have something to share and walk away. I'll tell you something. You're still under disorder. So in the same, in the same way, think about your relationship with God. Would you still have that accountability with God if we didn't have a church service? Would you still feel like you're a part of something God is doing on the earth if you didn't have a church service? How many of you with me? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. See, church service was never created by God. Church service was created because people stopped listening to God. Church service was created because people stopped being aware of God's presence personally in their life. There's one Abraham, one David, one Samson. One of them who had a personal relationship with God. They never church service. Abraham did not have a church service. So why do we need to make our lives, why do we need to pretend before God that we're Christians because we go to church? It's because we have this disorder that we're still under. Yeah. From the time I leave this room, this is the only thing that I think about the whole week. Can't wait to come back here. You know why? It's because in a moment like this, God comes like a father and he unites everybody together. You have a personal, you and I have a personal connection with God. We have a personal, we have a private relationship with God that is displayed publicly in this room. Please listen to me. My private worship with God, my private intimacy with God When I come into this room, I display it publicly only because I know it's still private. If I feel that you're different than me, then I pretend. If I feel that you're, you are different, you're somebody else, you're not me, then I pretend with my worship. But if I know that you, 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 all of you are, is, is the same person as me, then it's still a private worship to God. 
Do you understand? I was telling Kelsey, I was like, you know, I think the lights are too bright when people are worshiping. That's why they're not worshiping. Just today, right? Today I was telling you, I think their lights are too bright. Maybe I think people need some darkness. And then the Lord, cor- <laughs> the Lord corrected me. He says, that thought in itself is from a disorder. It's because we're so used to having a private relationship with God. It's so secret that nobody knows. Not even you. It's so secret. <laughs> it's so secret. I don't want anybody to know how I worship. I don't want anybody to know how I lift my hands and how I dance and how I, how I, how I give. Huh? How I give? Why? Come on. The reason why we're ashamed is because we feel there's something different about you and there's something different about me. It's a disorder. We feel like, oh, you know, when India's playing Pakistan, I mean, you wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but when India's playing Pakistan in the cricket game, everybody's like, oh, I'm from India, I'm from Pakistan, I'm from India. No, but it's, it's all the same geolocation. We're all the same. We're all the same. How about making India-Pakistan one team? We're awesome. We take on any planet. If we do, really. <laughs> Anybody can come and try to do Man, world champions, we'll be cosmos champions. Right? Why, why, why do we think it's such a foreign thought? It's because of a dis. I'm reminded of this, this story in the Bible. Do you have time? A lot, lot of time. We have a long life, so. Yeah, thank you. I'm reminded of the story uh, in First in Kings 17. Don't have to go there, just listen to me now. I'm reminded of the story where <clears throat> Elijah, a new king comes to Israel called King Ahab. What a name. It's like rehab Ahab. <laughs> the king, and the Bible says that, that God was upset with him because he sinned before God. You know, a Christian didn't go to church, but he was a sinner. And God watched his every move. But he was a king. Please listen to me. You'll get it now. You'll get it. You'll understand. And because he was a sinner... Elijah now decides to go to him and pronounce a drought on the land. He's not gone to people. He's not gone on social media. He's not gone on CNN and BBC and all the fake news and the real news. And I don't know how they create all this division, but it's all disorder anyways. He didn't go to any of that. He goes to the top guy and he says, I pronounce a drought on the land. And until I say so, there'll be no rain. And the Bible says that there was no rain. Do you know why there was no rain on the land? It's because he spoke to the guy who had the authority over the land. Now, every Friday you come into this room, there's a guy speaking 
to the top boss of your life. Are you truly the king over your sphere? Or are you a follower in your own life? What do I mean by that? God has given you an identity. He's given you a purpose. But you're still looking at Pastor John's purpose and thinking that that's yours. Let's just say this. I'm pulling someone's leg, but just let's just say this. <clears throat> let's say we, we idolize, you idolize Priyanka Chopra. I'm just pulling someone's leg. I'll pray for the other one to extend after them. <laughs> Let's just say you idolize that, that woman. Okay, she's a celebrity and you're celebrating her. And I'm not saying this is true. I'm just giving an example, okay? And let's say now you look at the way she dresses and you now start deciding that that's how you need to dress. And this is what you need to do according to that celebrity and this is what you see on Pinterest and all that stuff. Now, please don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that you don't learn from other people. You can learn from other people, but don't copy them. Copying them is living below your standard. Because who God created you to be, you're an individual that God gave a, his perfect identity, his perfect plan, and a perfect order over your life. Now, if you're the boss over your life, supposedly, and you have a vice, let's say it's smoking. So who do we speak to? Who does the pastor speak to every Friday? To you or your boss? Let's just, let's just say you're struggling with alcohol. I mean, these are just like simple examples because, you know, it's Christmas season, so everybody struggles with alcohol. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because it's true. <laughs> let's say you're struggling with alcohol and you're like, oh, you know, man, I'm going to have a party tonight. And, you know, I'm getting ready and then, you know, I drink. And then after I drink, then that left leg will start... <laughs> Start moving, and, and then the, after the second drink, the right leg will start moving, and then I become brave and start talking in front of everybody. It's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm the party animal. Anyway, let, let's just say you have an issue with that alcohol. Now, when you are already in a disorder outside these rooms, and you walk into the garden that God created perfect order in. Who do I speak to? Do I speak to your boss, alcohol, or do I speak to you? But you're not the boss of you at the moment. You're struggling. There's a disorder. You're struggling into this room. You're struggling with idolatry. You're struggling with, with pornography. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, you, you walked into this room with that vice here, and that thing is controlling you. Yeah. Who is the boss? The vice. So talk about depression. Talk about oppression. Talk about negative thoughts. Who's the boss? Who do we speak to? Who do I give the word to? Because see, in the garden, the perfect order, if you're in the perfect order, 
under the perfect order in the garden, God lets you stay. Because if you come into this place and you receive the word and you're not the boss of your life, you will continue to live, but you live in sin. Talk about debt. Let's talk about sickness. You've walked in here with the doctor's report heavy on your heart. Who's the boss? Because the doctor's report is communicating you are not in the order that God created. So for sickness, it's okay. We'll we pray for healing and then healing will happen. What, what are we trying to say? I'm saying when I say be healed, I'm giving you the very thing that God used to create order. I'm giving you that word so that when you believe that word and you receive it into your life, it, he aligns you in perfect order and sickness leaves your body. Do you understand? Talk about debt. Talk about vices. Talk about depression. I mean, depression, most people make a choice to be depressed. Because they enjoy the attention. Oh, why are you so sad? The question itself is depressing. Depression is not a... Is not a uh, uh, it, it cannot be, it's not something that medicine can recover. This perfect order, perfect order, perfect order that God instituted before time began. This perfect order was not created. So you can't decide when you are in perfect order, not in perfect order. You can't decide, oh, well, today I'm going to take the promises of God for my life. Yeah, come on, take the promises. No, promises existed even before time began. And so now Elijah proclaims this drought over this land, and the land is full of drought. To a point where Elijah has to leave and go away from the land because there's no food to eat. He's sitting by a brook and the brook runs out and the word of the Lord, the Lord, the order, remember, the order comes to him and says, please listen to me, go to Zarephath because I have spoken to a widow to supply food for you. Elijah did not say, well, give me a confirmation, God. He got up and he walked. He went to the place and he's standing there waiting for the widow. I mean, just imagine how forensic his prophetic gift was. God didn't show him a vision of who the lady is. He just said, I have created order for you there. I want you to go there. When he went there, he knew instantly that's perfect order. Do you understand? <laughs> and the Lord said, I have spoken to the widow to feed you. But if you read through the story, the widow had no idea. She didn't even hear God. She said, if the Lord, your God, has spoken, I will go. 
She had no relationship with God. So who, how did she hear God's word then? How did she know to put her faith? She had one handful of flour and a little olive oil, and she and her son were going to eat that meal and die. But yet she decided, the Lord your God has spoken. I'm in disorder, but I recognize order coming out of your mouth. She said, your Lord, the Lord, your God. So for me, I put myself in different people's shoes in the story. But I put myself in Elijah's because I like it. And I'm not a widower, so. But if I'm Elijah and I'm thinking about my life now, my brook is running out, finances are running out. Job scenes looking bleak. Finances, marriage, all that stuff. It seems like there's a drought that's coming up in my life. Feels like it's a disorder. But it was because of what he spoke. <laughs> Do you understand? He spoke it, now he's feeling the effects of it. And when it does come, who comes? Who comes to him? Who comes to Elijah? The? The Lord comes to Elijah. Who's the Lord? He's the word. Who's the word? He is the order. Comes to him and says, I've made provision for you. Get up and go there. Now, when Elijah comes to the widow, first he asks for a cup of water. Just imagine you meet a stranger on the road and that stranger asks you for a cup of water. And some of us would give that person a second look, not realizing that that person who carries the order of God would be the very one that is the key to abundance in my life. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I hope you're getting it. And so now you have the widow who's looking at Elijah and she's like, dude, you are gone off. You, I think you're in the wilderness for too long. I think you are gone off your rocks. And she's like, I have, this is all I have left. I don't have much. But Elijah is like, but the order says that there is provision. There is provision. So he says, go and make it anyways. Go and make that bread and come and feed me first. <laughs> Some of us come to church and it's like the last 10 dirhams and it's like I can either buy ramen noodles, cup of noodles, or I can give into the kingdom of God. And Elijah standing before you and saying, give it to the kingdom first. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. See, you must understand. You must understand. God is not impressed by your lack. He's not moved by your lack. 
He is not moved by your prayers from a disorder. He comes because he knows there is provision. He comes to the one who does not have anything to give and he says, give. <laughs> I'm coming back to the beginning of our message. He comes to the one who has nothing. Pastor, 10 dirhams I have. That is all I have only left. No, you, only have to, you only have to give me. <laughs> After today's message, I don't think I'll get those calls. But anyway. Please understand. This woman is a widow. Which means she doesn't have a husband who used to go and work in those days and provide for her. She has a son and she's picking up sticks to cook their last meal. What a disorder. We look at that widow and we think, man, we're better off. But actually, we're in the same disorder. If she did not hear God's voice, but she obeyed Elijah's voice. Her little cake that she made for Elijah was the key that opened the door for abundance in her life. Abundance. What if she said, no? She would have died. Come on, man. It's the message of life. She decided to trust the word, not look at the man's scruffiness, but trust the order that was coming out of his mouth and say, I will do it. I will give it to you. But you know what Elijah says? Elijah says to her this. He says, till... The flour and the oil will not run out till the drought is over. You must understand how God provides. In a season of drought, this woman was the only woman who did not work for her prosperity. In Everybody, you come to Dubai, everybody's going to work out. Everybody, what, what if you decided to be that one that gave that last cake to the prophet? You sowed into the order. You gave. Now, please, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a kind word. I'm talking about a good deed. The very thing that you give to God becomes the very source of life to you and through you. It becomes a source of endless supply. The very thing, the flour and the oil. She decided to use both to make a cake. And every time she made a bread for the prophet, it 
disappeared again. To a point where now she had to give it away. Why? Because she figured it out. God's not filling the jar more than a handful. Oh. She did not come out and have like an industry of flour and oil. It was just a handful in the jar and oil enough for a cake. And from that place, she began to distribute. Not just the prophet now. Let me make cakes for everybody. Let me give the flour away. Let me keep pouring this oil out. Let's see how much oil God can pour. Because the provision... You must understand, the order that God has given, when he says, I have made provision for you, it doesn't mean that it'll end. It's endless. It's endless supply. Why? Because he provides not according to your need, but according to your, his nature. Please listen to me. When God provides for your business... Please listen to me. It's an endless supply. Wait, wait. It is an endless supply the minute you give it away. It's not when you keep. When you begin to keep it, that's when you're saying, okay, God, I've, I choose the disorder rather than your order. The woman that Jesus met at the well... Right? Was, everybody talks about worship and how many husbands she had and all that kind of stuff. Jesus says, he asks her for water. Right? Same thing like the widow. Ask her for water. She's like, she gets theological a little bit, doctrines. She brings the doctrines in. She brings, she communicates from a disorder. And Jesus says, listen, the water that I have to give you, the minute you drink it, it will become in you. It will first satisfy you. And then from you, it will become a river. So, what did the woman do? She ran to her city. And she told everybody, come see the order that I met. Do you understand? She didn't say, come here, take water, take water, take water. She said... <laughs> Yeah, so she went to the city and she didn't say, well, I've got a river of life flowing. <laughs> Look, I have a river. She went and she said, I found the order. Found the order. Christmas story is really about finding the order. The Christmas story is... It's very simple, actually. God's heart was heavy because of the disorder in the world. And today, the problems that you have in your life, God is not happy and He doesn't rejoice that you're suffering. But the reason why you're suffering is because you've chosen to believe in the disorder. Because 
the disorder was providing momentary pleasure for now, here now. I need to do this. I need now, 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 now. It's the last cake. The last. It's, that's the life that we live. Every time we receive a doctor's report, it causes us to really rethink about life and how much time you have left. <laughs> Why don't you look at the doctor's report and say, I have a better report. 2,000 years ago, that report was written on my behalf. 2,000 years ago, he gave me a good report about my body. He gave me a good report about sin. He gave me a good report about death. He gave me a good report about my future. The question is, what report would you believe in? If you believe the report of the Lord, then it is illegal for you to have sickness in your body. It's illegal for you to have division in your life. It's illegal for your marriage to break. It's illegal for you to have relationships that are tearing apart. It's illegal for, for your teenage kids to be falling away from, from the things of God. It's illegal for, for you to, to step away from God and not be aware of His presence. It's illegal for you to come to church to get a shot of God. It's illegal. Illegal. God is not a shot in the arm on a Friday that wears off by Thursday. And so you go to a club Thursday night and you get up into all the disorder and you feel guilty and come back to church on a Friday. See, we, we have to understand that God really, really is pleased when you're blessed. It gives him good pleasure. It gives me good pleasure when I see, you know, when I see Kezia and Karen up on stage leading worship. It gives me good pleasure to see, wow, God, you know, you gave me a word about life, but actually you called them. When I see Ricardo and Lizelle stepping up in their, in their mantle and, and taking on what God has for their life. It's, it's like, it makes me feel like, wow, God, you, you, actually, you actually had them in mind when you chose me. So there's, there's a greater purpose for us to live life than just for ourselves. Because you don't know that Jesus is in your lineage two generations from now. And because you applied the word in church, your great-grandson and your great-grandchild who stands on a stage with millions of people giving their life to Jesus. Because you chose the order, they benefit from it. Please listen to me. Because you chose to apply the order in your life, they live in the provision. Think about a greater generation. Think about your office. Think about your family. Think about just everything else except you. Because as God is talking to generations in you. I don't just talk to 400, 300 people in a room. I'm talking to a million people who are part of Life Church Global. 
the Christmas gift that I have for you is the order of abundance. Never meant to live in a disorder. Never meant to function in disorder. You're meant to live in perfect order. Perfect order in relationship with God, relationship with man. You function as a king, but you're still a son. As a king, choose to serve. You choose to serve as a king. Why? It's because when you serve, everything that you serve, every person that you serve can either live in a drought or in prosperity. But I want to tell you this Christmas, God so loved the order that he created that he gave you this message today. That whoever believes, whoever believes in this message will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's stand up.